Welcome back to 444.com's The Most Accurate Podcast. My name is Anthony Stalter. Alongside me is John Paulson. John, how are we doing this week? Not bad. Uh, there is preseason football being played. I'm starting to see snap counts, you know, in my feed. So it's nice. <laughs> it's always nice to see snap counts. Uh, so doing pretty well. Good. Well, tell us about the music and then we'll dive into the podcast. Yeah, this is uh, Kaleo, uh, Break My Baby, second track off of their 2021 album, Surface Sounds. I've added it to the Most Accurate Podcast playlist, which you can find a link for in the show notes. All right, today we're going to discuss the latest injury news in Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz, before going through the murky backfields around the league. But first, I want to let you know once again that we have partnered with Underdog Fantasy to offer a free 4 for 4 Pro subscription. It's a $59 value just for depositing $10 at <clears throat> excuse me, Underdog as a new user. Not only that, but Underdog will give you a bonus of $25 in your account, and our partners at FFPC will give you a $35 credit for one of their leagues if you are a new FFPC user. If you're a returning FFPC user, you're going to get a $10 credit. It's important that you use the code 4 for 4 That's the number 4, F-O-R, number 4, all caps on that, to claim the free subscription. For full details, go to bit.ly backslash 444deal, and that last part, 444deal, is all in caps, or hit the pinned tweet on John's Twitter page at 444 underscore John. We've never had an offer like this before, so make sure that you take advantage of it. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a really great deal. We've also partnered with Prize Picks to offer a free DFS or betting subscription just for depositing $20 to, uh, 20 to $35 as a new user at Prize Picks. So if you'd rather get a DFS or a betting subscription, or you can't take advantage of the underdog offer that I just mentioned, then this deal is perfect for you. Just go to bit.ly backslash prize picks, and prize picks is all in caps for full details. The DFS subscription usually costs about $99, and the betting subscription is about $179. So this is another, another great way to get a subscription at an absolutely huge discount. You'll also get that $35 coupon at FFPC if you're a new user. John, before we dive into some of the news and notes, I wanted to ask you about your involvement in this year's Hall of Fantasy League. Yeah, it's uh, the inaugural season of this, and uh, it's being tabbed the first National Fantasy Football League uh, that allows you to experience a fantasy team with a community of shared stakeholders. So uh, they got, there's 10 teams, uh, Jennifer Aikens and I, are going to co-manage the Boston Barflies because you know when you think of Boston sports, you think of John Paulson. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, we know Boston has a, a spirited fan base across all sports. Uh, but it's one of the ten teams we we uh, we we had the the pick uh, order was drawn last night. We 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 drew the the fifth pick, and it's a super flex league, so it'll be interesting to see how the first few rounds. Um, shake out with quarterbacks being a little bit more important than usual or quite a bit more important than usual. Um, but fans or listeners or whoever, whoever wants to get involved in this can uh, stake a team. Uh, you could wait till after the draft to see, you know, which team you want to stake, or you can uh, go on and stake us if you're a fan of four for four. Um, it's a little embarrassing because the Ohio goats who have Michael Fabiano and Bob Harris, uh, both, you know, on major media, radio and television, they've already sold out all their stakes. So apparently they've been pushing this uh, where I have not. But now the draft is coming on Sunday and um, it really it's going to be live streamed. There's an app. If you just look uh, on the Apple App Store, you can go to the Hall of Fantasy League to get involved and uh, check it out. 
All right, good stuff, John. We're uh, we're going to dive into some of the injury news that impact fantasy football players, including Saquon Barkley, and he was just activated by the Giants. He tore the ECL obviously last year, but he was active from the pup list. Uh, he goes. Joe Judge mentioned this. He said before you before you get hit in the first in the first game at full speed when you need when you when you need that speed to be elusive. Uh, we want to go out and get you used to the tempo of the game, the speed of the game, get you feel like you're being tackled. So that was Joe Judge on Saquon Barkley. Where do you have Barkley right now, and how how confident are you that he's gonna he's gonna be in the fantasy you know top ten for running backs? Uh, if he plays a full season, I'd be reasonably confident. Uh, I just look at the situation and the running back ranks in general. And it's hard for me to, to get on board with a first-round pick that we're not sure he's going to be out there week one. Uh, I don't like playing that game with my first couple of picks unless you know things are really trending the right way. And things are, took a step forward with him being removed from Pup, so uh, you know I would think he's probably going to play week one. Um, but there's been some talk about them easing him in and not giving him us- his usual workload uh, at the start of the season, which is a little bit problematic too when you're – comparing him to somebody like uh, Joe Mixon, who will probably see 22-plus touches per game. Um, So that's a little troubling, I guess, if you're looking at him at the turn. He does have a ton of talent, um, and obviously had a great rookie season, 1,307 rushing yards, 11 touchdowns, 721 uh, receiving yards, and four touchdowns in 16 games, and then followed it up with a 13-game season where he had 1,000 yards rushing, uh, 438 yards receiving, uh, eight total touchdowns. So a little bit of a step back in terms of total production, but he's still, you know, at 110 um, total yards per game. Uh, the con- other concern I have with this Giants team is that the offensive line is one of the worst in football, and I don't also don't like taking uh, running backs in the first round from from teams that have this sort of problem up front so he's just been a guy that I've been avoiding I'm letting somebody else take him there's other guys that I like to draft there in the early second round and uh, you know but it does look like if you're if you're a big fan of Barkley um, it does look like he will his, his injury situation is looking up all right ESPN's Jeremy Fowler has reported that Darren Waller who has missed two weeks of training camp has an ankle injury but that it's quote quote unquote not concerning he has nothing to prove, so the team is taking it slow, John. But anything to worry about with Darren Faller, given this report? Or Dar- Darren Waller, I should say. I said Darren Darren Fowler. Darren Waller. Yeah, he was the reporter, Fowler, that uh, did this report. But um, that's normal for you to make that sort of mistake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, I'm glad we got this report because it was sort of a mysterious injury. And the fact that he's coming out and saying it's not concerning and that he's nothing to prove in camp, that uh, they're just trying to put him in bubble wrap apparently for week one, uh, I would continue to draft him where I was drafting him prior. All right, Rashad Bateman needs groin surgery. So our injury expert, Adam, Adam Hutchinson, who you can follow at the real Adam underscore H, says that his return to play can be about four to six weeks post-surgery. He says that four weeks is optimistic, while six weeks is more realistic. That would put Bateman back week three, John. Yeah, and this I, I, I was a fan of Bateman coming out of college, and I really wanted the Packers to draft him. I think he's a very talented guy, and I think he's got a bright future. 
Uh, he landed in Baltimore, though, and that is problematic from a target standpoint. Marquise Brown is still there. Mark Andrews is going to be involved as a receiver. It's a low pass volume offense, and they also signed Sammy Watkins, who is apparently looking very good in camp. Um, so, you know, I had Bateman at, at wide receiver one in that group, but it wasn't by a mile or anything. And now that he's got this uh, core surgery um, that's going to knock him out a month or more. And I think this just gets his rookie season off to a bad start. I don't know that he's draftable, you know, inside the first 13, 14 rounds at this point, maybe late, late in the draft. I mean, he's somebody that's going to sit on your bench or, you know, take up a spot the first few weeks where you're going to want to be um, picking a player up off the waiver wire. The hot pickups usually happen the first two or three weeks of the season, and he's going to be staring at you <laughs> injured. Uh, probably on the bench there. Uh, if you have an IR spot, I think he's more draftable, you know, as a late round pick at this point. But uh, not a whole lot of upside. It doesn't feel like with given the situation in Baltimore. All right, Jets coach Robert Sala said that second round rookie wide receiver Elijah Elijah Moore from Ole Miss will receive an MRI following Thursday's practice. He injured his quad. He walked back to the locker room with the trainer under his own power following a hard landing in practice today, but or yesterday, I should say, we're recording on Friday. Moore has been one of the, the bright spots, apparently, in camp, John. So while we're still waiting what the MRI results are going to be, what's your what's your sense for, for Elijah Moore, the injury, and then you look at his fantasy upside, what do you think? Yeah, Moore uh, had been drawing rave reviews in camp. Uh, terrific route runner per... Uh, Matt Harmon, Reception Perception, one of his favorites coming out in this class. Uh, and I think the Jets in general are kind of underrated this year because everybody's treating them like Adam Gase's Jets uh, instead of a whole new regime with a new quarterback, new offense, etc. So I think there's some upside here for him. The, the MRI is a little bit worrisome. It sounds like it was more of a collision injury as opposed to like a strain. So it might just be a contusion or a bone bruise or, or a, a muscle bruise or something, but... Um, we have to sort of wait and see. I think the his ADP will dip a little bit if, you know, with this news, and maybe that's a good time to buy. All right, Jack Prescott got another MRI in his shoulder, according to the Dallas Star-Telegram. It's simply a continuation of the Cowboys being cautious with Prescott, doing their due diligence regarding his injury and letting the test confirm the progress that that are seeing that we're seeing up close. That was according to the Star-Telegram. Are you downgrading Dak Prescott at all? I did move him down from like four to eight, and I think he just has a little bit of risk right now. Given this MRI, I want to see him back in the fold, you know, compared to some of these other quarterbacks going in that same tier, Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers and uh, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert. His, his health just isn't 100% right now, and that's a little bit worrisome in camp. I mean, it's good that it's not his ankle that's bothering him, um, I guess, because that was what was the problem last year uh, with that horrific injury he had. Uh, but the fact that his throwing shoulder is, is a problem, you know, you, you want to monitor that. I still think he's a, a solid pick there in the QB1 ranks, but uh, a little less likely to, to reach for him at this point. Hey, Carson Wentz now, since, since we're talking about quarterbacks, Carson Wentz seems unlikely to play week one, though according to ESPN.com's Adam Schefter, he's trending toward being available in week one. Quentin Nelson, the guard, the talented guard for the Colts, one of, one of if not their their best offensive lineman, has a similar injury and is iffy for week one. Are you moving any other Colts player players down in conjunction with these injuries? When this all came out, I, I moved uh, uh, Wentz down a little bit 
I'm sorry, I moved Wentz down quite a bit. I moved Taylor down a, a tad. I, I think it, it sounds like uh, Wentz and Nelson are going to be back fairly soon, and they might be back as, as soon as week one. So I don't think there's a huge downgrade here for for these other players. If, if something comes out and Wentz is going to miss a month or or more, then, uh, then perhaps you start to, to downgrade a lot of these players. What do you do with Dallas Goddard? You got Zach Ertz, he's still in Philly and playing – you know, he played seven of ten snaps with Jalen Hurts last night. Goddard was in five of ten snaps with Jalen Hurts. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic here with the Philly tight ends. Yeah, apparently, you know, there's a report that Ertz was back at camp. He's over his issues. But from another report came out, I think it was Mike Garofalo, that said he's still unhappy that he doesn't have a long-term contract. Uh, he, he and then there's another a further report that he just sort of stands off to the side. He's not really a part of, of the team and practices and everything. And, like, to me, everybody's freaking out. Not everybody on Twitter is freaking out, but a lot of them are. <laughs> talking, about how God, how, talking about how Goddard's a terrible pick. He's the Tyler Higbee of this, of this season because of this. Just because of one preseason game where they played Ertz more than Goddard. And I... Just to me, this smells like they're trying to feature Ertz for a trade. I mean, I think that they've, they've been trying to trade Ertz. He doesn't really want to be there. They're trying to show that he's fully healthy and can ready to contribute. And they played him with more more with Hertz last night than they did with than they did Goddard. I don't think they're looking at Ertz as the future at tight end there. And I think they we know that Goddard is a good player. So I think when you're looking at Goddard and he starts to slip in drafts, which he will at this point given all this, you're you're outside the top six tight ends, right? So Kyle Pitts, Hawkinson, um, Mark Andrews, you missed out on them. And obviously, you don't have one of the top three tight ends. So you're sitting there and you're like, okay, do I draft somebody like Goddard in the eighth or ninth round? You know, I think Logan Thomas is a good pick there. I think he's starting to, to trend up a little bit given his role in Washington. But then, you know, after Thomas... You know, who, what are you doing at the position that has upside? And I think Goddard has upside. So you're maybe placing a bet on Goddard uh, with a mid-round pick, mid to late-round pick, I guess. And then maybe you take a, an upside guy like uh, Adam Troutman uh, or Cole Komet and uh, you place another bet on a, on a younger player that's up and coming. And then Ertz gets traded and suddenly you have a top five tight end. I, mean, I don't think anybody's arguing that Goddard isn't in that tier with Hawkinson and Andrews if Ertz is gone. Right. Uh, I certainly wouldn't argue against that at all. I think Goddard is that talented when Ertz is out. Uh, he's produced. So I think that's how you have to look at it. I don't like to let Goddard slip too fall, far because I know that if Ertz is moved, he's suddenly going to be a top five tight end for whoever drafted him. Um, and certainly after the top six are off the board, he's a consideration. You probably don't want to have him as your only bet at the position. Um, but with that sort of upside, you, you can combine him with another player. All right, John, you published your two biggest articles of the year in the last week or two. You have your 99 stats, but a Mitch ain't one. And your 2021, I think I said that as white as possible too, John. <laughs> and it's your, meant to be said very white, whitely. Good, good. I think I nailed it. And your 2021 draft day strategery article do you want to talk a little bit about the premise behind each article yeah 99 stats is, is basically what it is titled uh 99 stats that i have discovered dug up throughout the off season um trying to uh 
do my player uh, profiles, my player blurbs, and just some interesting splits and things that I've found using our market share splits app, which uh, Kevin Zetlukol uh, created for us a couple of years ago. And it's a great tool to it for pretty, can dig up at pretty much any split that you want, player, player level split. Uh, as for the strategy, that's my overall draft plan. Uh, I actually released that a week or two early because people were already asking for it. And now I'm doing some positional sleepers and uh, breakout candidate articles that are going up. The running back and the quarterback ones are up. And then wide receiver and tight end will probably go up next week. Uh, but the strategy article basically goes through each position and my plan uh, that I've sort of devised over the summer uh, of how I'm going to draft in upcoming drafts and players I'm targeting, et cetera. So pretty much the whole draft plan is there. You need a subscription uh, to read both of these. Uh, that's why we've got these great deals with Underdog and Prize Picks, and you know you can also get a a, 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 a subscription just the traditional way. Um, but um, yeah, so the, I'm, I'm happy they're both done because they're both really long. <laughs> but uh, they just went up on the site in the last week or so, so you might want to check them out. All right, so let's run through several murky backfields and try to sort out what's going on to you know the, the best of our ability. When I say our, I mean your, best of your ability, John. <laughs> so let's start off with the Bills. Zach Moss was reportedly outplaying Devin Singletary, but he picked up a hamstring injury that is not believed to be serious. Matt Breda is also in the mix. What do you, what do you make of the Buffalo situation? Matt Moss was moving up my rankings a little bit there with this with this talk that he's been consistently outplaying Singletary. But now he's got the hamstring injury, so I moved him down a little bit. Uh, it's hard to get excited about anybody in this backfield if either if Moss and Singletary are both healthy because they're both going to be used. That's what we saw last year. We're not seeing 70-30 splits with either one of these guys. Uh, it's been really close to you know, 50-50, 55-45 type splits. And on top of it, and that'd be fine on a normal team, but on top of it you have Josh Allen who is basically the goal line back for this team. So touch, there's not a lot of touchdown upside in this backfield either. And they also don't catch a ton of passes. So it's just hard to get excited about this this uh, backfield, given that it's so pass heavy and Josh Allen is the goal line back. So I'm just sort of avoiding avoiding it right now. Ramondre Stevenson in New England. We'll talk about the, the, Pat, the Patriots backfield situation. So Stevenson made a splash last night. He rushed 10 times for 127 yards and two touchdowns. And he also had a 91-yard touchdown run as well. Damian Harris Harris looked very good. Sony Michelle, James White are also still on the roster. This, this seems to be just, you know, the hurt locker every single year, John, when you're dealing with the Patriots backfield situation. But after what we saw on Thursday night, what do you, what's your... What's your gauge on what the Patriots might do? Yeah, this looks like the same as it ever was. I I, I just retweeted uh, Adam Levitan, who had uh, some snap counts from the from the game with uh, uh, Cam Newton, uh, his snaps, and and Damian Harris was I think was in on eight of them. Uh, James White was in on two, and then the uh, Sony Michelle was in on zero, and uh, Harris didn't play on any third downs. So it just looks like the same. Situation as before, Harris is probably the first or second down uh, primary runner. Sony Michelle right now is his direct backup, and James White comes in on third downs. And then Stevenson is probably vying with Michelle uh, for, for carries behind Harris, and that's pretty much what it is right now. I just don't see, especially with Cam Newton still as the goal line back, I don't see a lot of upside with Harris uh, in a two-down role when he's not getting much goal line work. Moving on to the New York Jets, Michael Carter, Tevin Coleman, and others. Carter has been a standout in camp, but what do you what do you 
uh, seeing in New York. Yeah, Carter is one of my favorite RB3 types to draft maybe in the 7th, 8th round if he's there. Uh, he's been consistently lauded in camp for his versatility, uh, really good in the passing game. Uh, I think he's a better runner than people give him credit for. He split time with uh, Javante Williams uh, in college, but you know, rushed for, I don't know, 80 or 90 yards a game uh, last season. So I th- I think this is also a Jets discount where I mentioned before everybody thinks this offense is going to be terrible because the Jets have been terrible over the last whatever number of years. Uh, but this they could quickly turn this around and Carter could become a fantasy starter if he's getting 60-70% of the touches and snaps in that backfield. And I don't see a whole lot of competition for, for touches right now. I mean, Tevin Coleman had some good you know games and years in his past, but he did not do much. Uh, in San Francisco and was playing in one of the best run offenses in the league. So I think he's going to be uh, a placeholder if he does start ahead of Carter at the start of the season. Let's move on to Houston. You got Philip Lindsay and Mark Ingram listed as the starters ahead of David Johnson on the team's unofficial depth chart. I'm sure Texans fans are already aware, John, but it, it's nice to see that those two guys are listed ahead of David Johnson, who, you know, you gave up for uh, DeAndre Hopkins. So no big deal there. <laughs> Not that Texans fans are <laughs> Texans fans are already well aware of the situation. I don't need that. We don't need, we don't need to remind them of that. Yeah, let's not let's not pile on yeah. uh, the Texans fans right now, given everything going on there. I don't want any part of this backfield. I'll just I, I the one time I took David Johnson in a draft, I reg- immediately regretted it. Um, he was he was ranked where he was because I felt like he was still a three down back and um, probably had some passing game upside, but they didn't throw to him a lot last year and. They were 4-12, and 12, so I don't know why another bad season is going to lead to more catches for him. Uh, the fact that he is not even listed first on the depth chart is really strange. I mean, I know it's an unofficial depth chart, but to uh, give Lindsey and Ingram the, the nod ahead of Johnson, if you're just you know, a PR person uh, putting this together, there must have been some discussion about it, and uh, it's certainly worrisome for his early down role and you know, just bringing in Lindsey and Ingram at all is worrisome for his early down roll. So there's just not going to be a lot of fantasy points scored by this backfield. And now we're splitting up, splitting it up amongst three people. Uh, I'm not going to pay any attention to it unless somehow uh, Deshaun Watson is, is the quarterback for the Texans. Moving to the Jaguars, James Robinson is looking good. Travis Etienne is being used as a slot receiver. Carlos Hyde added this off season. What do you think about the Jags? Yeah, uh, ETN's going ahead of Robinson, and in most of the drafts I see, I think Robinson is the better value right now, and we don't know for sure how this is all going to shake out, but the, the one thing that I read this offseason maybe sort of bullish about the Jaguars is that they may go very run-heavy uh, to protect uh, Trevor Lawrence in his rookie season. Um, Urban Meyer is fairly run-heavy. Uh, I think they have Daryl Bevel uh, and a Schottenheim, uh, Brian Schottenheimer are in there as offensive coordinators. And they also went very run heavy in seasons when they had a, a young quarterback, uh, Russell Wilson and Matt Sanchez, I believe, and with the Jets. Those teams all went very run heavy. Uh, that was a Thomas Jones huge season that he had for the Jets, if you remember that. So they, if they do go very run heavy, then all of a sudden James Robinson is looking like a possible, you know, mid range RB two uh, if he's getting. 15 plus carries a game. He's obviously not going to see as much work as he saw last year with ETN. I mean, he basically played every down when he was healthy uh, with ETN in there and Hyde, you know, coming in and spelling him. He's not 
a, a real big threat for RB one numbers unless there's an injury somewhere. But you know, seventh eighth round is where he's going, and you're you're maybe taking a zero RB approach, or you're doing a hero RB approach where you draft one running back uh, in the first or second round and then wait in the position for a long time. Uh, Robinson is certainly a candidate in the seventh eighth ninth round. Uh, to be an RB2, especially at the start of the season and maybe even longer. I think if they do go as run heavy as uh, it might be possible, then uh, you, you might end up with uh, quite a few carries out of him. Moving on to the Raiders. Kenyon Drake signed as a pass catcher. Josh Jacobs' stock is at an all-time low, and the Raiders' offensive line took a, hot, took a hit this offseason. That is one aspect, John, when you look at the Raiders – their offensive line was really good a year ago, and it was one of the reasons why I think their offense really produced early on. Then, of course, it tailed off. Uh, but from a running back standpoint, murky backfield situation, what do you think of the Raiders? Yeah, they with the offensive line, that's one thing I'm trying to get more and more into every offseason is to see what the offensive line and how it's changed year to year. And Justin Edwards is doing a great job at 4 for 4 of covering the offensive line. So he and I... Uh, have been working together. We get we have uh, some offensive line depth charts. Uh, you know, I'm pulling in uh, some PFF data to to sort of give ourselves some unit grades for me to use internally for my rankings. And uh, the Raiders just took a big hit. The three three starters are gone from last year. Uh, they drafted a guy Leather is it Leatherwood, um, which people thought was maybe an overdraft, a little bit of a reach in the draft, and that's the only replacement. So. Uh, I would say this is this offensive line is going to take a step back, and then Jacobs is now dealing with Drake. Uh, you know, Drake wasn't much of a pass catcher for Arizona. He was pretty good for for Miami, um, so it's a kind of a weird fit after what he did in, in Arizona, which he was primarily just a, a runner. And then you're bringing in bringing him in uh, and and stealing some of the more valuable touches from from Jacobs because everybody knows that receptions are more valuable to a running back than than carries. So. Uh, Jacobs is, is falling a lot in drafts, and uh, you know I think it might take an injury uh, for him to to return you know mid to upper range RB two numbers, which is what you're sort of looking for when you're when you're nabbing guys in that range. Yeah, and I didn't want to interrupt at all. You you were right on 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 Alex Leatherwood. He was a pick. If you remember, if you, if you were watching ESPN that night when the, when there was the draft and the Raiders took him 17th overall, like the entire set at ESPN was like they went silent. But I mean, the bottom line is this kid. This kid was an All-American at Alabama. Top, you know, he was a top five overall recruit. I think coming out of high school, he's 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 a monster. He's just raw, you know. And the Raiders, they haven't. They really haven't drafted well over the years, or at least with much common sense. So immediately you're like, you know, everybody knocks them. But uh, the bottom line is you're right. The, the Raiders' offensive line certainly took a hit. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if he if he can acclimate really quickly to the NFL level. Moving on to the Broncos. Does Javante Williams assert Melvin Gordon by week one? And then Ryan O'Halloran o- o- of the Denver Post made note of that, which is why I wanted to, to ask you that. Do you, do you think that Williams kind of overtakes Melvin Gordon by week one? Yeah, he, uh, the beat writer there, O'Halloran, uh, basically predicted that Williams would start week one uh, and lead the team in carries. So that's a pretty powerful statement from a beat writer. They usually defer to the, the veteran. Uh, I think coming into this offseason, I thought Melvin Gordon was a great value. He was going in the fifth round of drafts, and then they went up and drafted. Uh, I mean, he had a productive year last year. He's starting to get older. He's, you know, 28-ish, and uh, that's when players start to decline a little bit, especially running backs. Um, but, you know, he had a good year last year. He's versatile. He can still catch the ball. And I sort of thought that they would uh, split this up like they did with Philip Lindsay and, 
and Gordon last year. I mean, Lindsay's not a good pass catcher, and Williams is much better in that area. So I thought they had maybe two interchangeable running backs that they would rotate. Uh, but Williams has looked very good in camp, and certainly back half of the season, I would think he's the favorite. They, they did trade up to get him, and that has typically led to more uh, usage as a rookie. Uh, so I would think, say things are pointing in that direction. I don't know that Gordon is – I mean, I, I would think that Gordon still has a pretty good chance of outscoring Williams in September. I think once you get into October, maybe that changes. Moving on to Philadelphia now. Boston Scott is getting a lot of run in camp, and they drafted Kenneth Gainwell. What is Miles Sanders' outlook this year, John? I don't know. I haven't been drafting him at all. I, <laughs> I, uh, no, I have him ranked really pretty low relative to – my peers, uh, so I don't end up with any of him uh, in my drafts. I I just don't see it uh, given a limited workload. We've got Scott now um, infringing on his carries. Uh, Gainwell drafted, and he's more of a pass catcher, but I don't know if he's good enough in the as a pass blocker. Um, but I, I just don't see a huge year for Sanders. You're, you're drafting him in the fourth round most of the time, and I think when you're drafting him there, you're hoping for back end RB one numbers, as you know, and that's sort of possible. But I think he needs an injury or two for that to happen. And then in Detroit, you've got DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. I know the you know look, DeAndre Swift has got big time highlight reel abilities, but you look at some of what he did last year and he also dances a lot and Jamal Williams you know very well from his days in Green Bay what do you think of this duo yeah I think, I think Swift is a threat for 70 catches uh, I think he's got that sort of talent and given all the losses in the Lions receiving core there's so many targets up for grabs and it just sort of depends on how they want to run their offense do they run it through uh, their two best receivers uh, TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift as far as established receivers, or do they try to force stuff out to the you know, wide receivers, uh, Tyrell Williams, Amon Ross St. Brown in the slot, who's apparently looking pretty good, and uh, Brashad Perriman. I mean, Brashad Perriman and Tyrell Williams are not high-volume players. I mean, I, I would expect four or five targets per game for those guys. So you know, I think you really have to feed Hawkinson and Swift and maybe Jamal Williams a bit and then St. Brown to sort of make this offense go. So I think from a PPR standpoint, Swift's a good pick. I think if you're in a half PPR standard, there's going to be better options available to you when he's typically going off the board because uh, Jamal Williams is, is likely to you know, see a 10-plus touch role in this offense. I think that they don't want to run Swift up the middle you know, eight to ten times a game. I think that Williams is going to get most of that work, and he's also capable of catching the ball as well. He's a very versatile uh, player, you know, watching him uh, for years in Green Bay. So um, I think there's going to I think, I think it's going to be a split, and I don't think it's necessarily bad. They have a good offensive line, and they don't have a lot of talent at other positions, you know, other than tight end. Uh, so, you know, these guys, both these guys can produce – and Hawkinson can produce, and you know you get sort of minimal production out of the you know the receiving core. Tampa Bay they added Giovanni Bernard to a Ronald Jones Leonard Fournette backfield. Brett brought back Leonard Fournette in their their quest to run it back this year. John, would you? I mean, what do you, what do you think of this? Would you could you just kind of leave the Tampa situation alone because of the the fact that there might be three mouths to feed? I, I think I would, and I would certainly. Uh, typically avoid Jones and Fournette at their current cost. And they're not very expensive, but you have no idea which one is going to lead this team and carries in week one. I mean, Fournette was the playoff hero. They call him playoff Lenny now. 
but Jones was the more efficient runner all season. So does Bruce Arians go back to him as the starter or do they go to Fournette as the starter? So you're taking a gamble there. And then they probably are just going to rotate like they did last year, and you don't know which one's going to lead in any given week. But now they have Bernard to the list. So who's going to – I mean, Fournette and Jones are both not going to play on third down, and they're not going to catch the ball much. Uh, I pulled some numbers because I saw this question on the rundown. I was like, oh, this is interesting. You look at Tampa Bay in 20 games last year on plays where it was third and three or more. And the Tampa Bay running backs combined for 11 catches for 84 yards and a touchdown on 15 targets. So that's pretty low. Uh, J.D. McKissick last year had 26 targets in the same situation. Uh, Jarek McKinnon had 18 targets in the same situation last year, and that was in 16 games. So, um, And then you look at what James White did with Tom Brady back in 2019, his last year in New England. James White had 41 targets on third and three plus, and he turned those into 28 catches for 276 yards and four touchdowns. And just looking at that, that's 5.0 PPR points per game uh, just from his third and three plus snaps. So I think, you know, in, in, PP, in full PPR por- uh, formats, that Gio Bernard is not a bad late round pick. I mean, he's going extremely late. I think especially in best ball where you might get a, a five for 50 and a touchdown out of him in any given game, like like he used to get out of White. I mean, he's cheaper than White was uh, back in his heyday, right? So right. Uh, I think Bernard is actually turning into, looking at that data with James White and what he did on third three, three or more with Tom Brady, I mean, 41 targets compared to just 15 targets last year in 20 games for the Tampa Bay running backs, that's pretty eye-opening to me. All right, John, a couple more that we want to run through their running back backfield situations. I know that a lot of people are probably interested to hear your thoughts on, not that you haven't shared them before in previous podcasts, but you're looking at the murky backfield situations. How about the one in, in L.A. with the Rams? you got Darrell Henderson and Xavier Jones uh, with the Cam Akers injury now, what, week three? Week four? I mean, it's been a, it's yeah. been a while now. So we can, we can kind of take a look at this Rams backfield situation knowing uh, what we're looking at going into preseason. Yeah, and Henderson's... His ADP has risen, but it hasn't risen to levels that I sort of thought it might. Like, I thought he might end up cracking the top 15, 17. Uh, but he's going, you know, after Swift, after Dobbins. Uh, you know, he's kind of going in that Mike Davis, Miles Gaskin range. And I think Henderson has a lot of upside for that point in the draft. I, I took him uh, RB20 uh, in a recent draft, and I like that value. I think that. You look at what he did last year in a six-game, I think it was a six-game sample as a starter. He posted back-end RB1 numbers, you know, high touchdowns, uh, 15.5 touches per game. You know, it's not the 20-plus touches that you want, but he, he got that, that sort of workload with Malcolm Brown there, with Cam Akers there. And so I think there is some upside there with him. Uh, with those guys gone, although, you know, he's not a bell cow, big bell cow type back. I mean, you're probably going to end up with 15 to 17 touches per game for him. But I think in that offense with Matthew Stafford there, Sean McVay running the, running it, uh, that's that's still, he has RB1 upside, uh, certainly on a weekly basis, but over a stretch like he did last year. And we saw what Cam Akers did late in the year. Uh, he was seeing 20-plus uh, carries per game. Uh, they like Xavier Jones. Uh, he's going to carve out a role, but the way they're talking about Henderson, you know, they're not going to play him in the preseason. 
Uh, they're talking about Xavier Jones carving out a role. That certainly indicates to me that they look at Art Henderson as their, you know, obvious RB1, the guy who's going to, to get those 15 to 20 uh, touches per game. And he's a capable pass catcher. He's also uh, really good in pass blocking. I think he was the third highest graded pass blocker at PPF la- or PFF last year. So um, he can play on all three downs. Uh, and, you know, maybe he's not playing, he's not in every single series. He has, he did share time in Memphis when he was there for his last two seasons. So that's okay. I mean, you're getting him fourth, fifth, sixth round sometimes. I think the value's there. Two more I wanted to ask you about. Arizona, you got Chase Edmonds and James Conner. And I do want to ask you about one of their NFC West uh, rivals, but let's just stick with Arizona for a second here. So Chase Edmonds and James Conner. Yeah, coming into this, we, you know, Chase Edmonds looked like he was going to be the, you know, the the, the clear RB1 lead back. Um, and then they signed James Conner to replace Kenyon Drake. And I think Conner is probably as good as Drake was or is at this point. Uh, Connor's issue has been staying healthy, but he's been pretty productive on a per carry basis. He's also versatile. He can catch the ball and he's also likely to steal goal line carries from Edmonds who does not see the ball much around the goal line, not only because of Drake last year, but uh, Kyler Murray carrying the ball. Right. So I think in full PPR Edmonds is an option. He has some uh, high end RB two type upside because he could catch 60, 70 passes potentially. He's, you know, but I think you got Connor there. He's not. I mean, this isn't like Carlos Hyde or, or somebody in you know in the receiving game. He's a pretty good pass catcher too. So if they use him at all uh, as a receiver, that's going to cut into Edmonds. So um, I saw a report that said that this was like a, a competition in name only. But then I've also seen uh, other beat writer reports saying that they are. This is going to be a full committee, and Connor will be used quite a bit. So that sort of uh, you know submarines the upside for for Edmonds unless there's some sort of injury. And then the, the the NFC West rival that I wanted to talk to you about was the 49ers. You got Raheem Mostert and you've got Trey Sermon. Yeah, and I don't know if I'm just being belligerent, stubborn, whatever, but I do not see the team benching Raheem Mostert when healthy given his incredible production in this offense when he's been healthy. Now, I think he's unlikely to play 17 games for you. Uh, but when he's out there and healthy, he's going to produce. He has over the last uh, season and a half uh, as the starter there. And Trey Sermon is, uh, you know, bigger and probably more durable. But he had some injury issues in college as well. He's not nearly as fast as Mostert. Uh, Mostert registered the two fastest ball carrier times last year uh, per NFL uh, their advanced data there. Uh, so that's pretty incredible. And I don't think they just benched that speed to just force feed Sermon the ball. Sermon, it does seem like he's going to have a weekly role. I just don't know how big it's going to be from the get-go. And, you know, you're sort of hoping, if you're drafting him ahead of Mostert, you're just sort of hoping that Mostert gets hurt and Sermon gets that job to himself. John, great stuff as always. Again, you can follow John on Twitter at 444 underscore John. You can follow me as well at Anthony Stalter. And, don't forget to take advantage of that promo with Underdog and lock in your pro subscription at 4 for 4. The link to hit is bit.ly backslash 4 for 4 deal. And if you want a DFS or betting subscription, then hit bit.ly backslash prize picks for all the details. For John Paulson, I'm Anthony Stalter. We'll see you next time on 4for4.com's The Most Accurate Podcast. You know she loves to fame.
I want